Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Uh, others say Elijah and, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Many, many years ago in rural England, uh, an old prophet came uh, very early in the morning to a house, a house of a, a woman, a, a fairly wealthy woman in the village, and he knocked on the door and she opened, and he said in you know, his very prophet voice, the Lord will visit you today. And she was, uh, she was a Christian, she was a follower of Jesus, so she understood what he was saying, and, and so she got very excited, you know, so uh, as you do, if, if you were told that the queen or that Jesus was coming to see you, you do what any other self-respecting person did, you quickly go into your house, you start cleaning the house, right, you know, you, you hide away all the, 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 the stuff, uh, the, the, the dirty stuff, uh, you take, uh, you, you wipe the dust off your Bible, you know, so, you know, you, you get all that, you know, cleaned up. So she spent time cleaning up. While she's cleaning the house, uh, uh, a knock came on her door. And she said, oh, okay, this, maybe this is the Lord. So she goes to the door, and she opens the door in crestfallen. And she sees this old beggar out in front of the door. And he said, ma'am, could you spare a couple of coins? And she said, no, no, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm expecting a very important visitor. And closed the door. And and so she went about and continued on with her business, and uh, it's getting toward lunchtime, and she thought, you know, uh, maybe if the, if the Lord's hungry, uh, maybe I'll, I'll fix him something, maybe some soup or something like that. So she put on a big pot of stew and, uh, and, and set the table, and about that time, there was another knock on the door. And this time, it was a, a, a young woman with her, her very young child, and, and she said, uh, I, I'm sorry, would, would you have maybe something that, that we could eat? Uh, and the woman said, no, no, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm expecting somebody. So she closes the door and, uh, uh, and then goes, goes about her business. And the day's getting long. She's kind of wondering, you know, what's going on. It's a kind of a cold day. She's thinking, well, maybe he's, he's taking his time getting here. And in the late afternoon, again, a, another knock at the door came, and there was a, a couple that were there, and they said, pardon me, ma'am, could, could you spare a, a couple of extra blankets? It's awfully cold outside, and we really have no place to stay. And she says, no, no, I, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm expecting somebody, and closed the door, and they went away. Well, it gets into the evening, and, you know, no Lord. And she's rather disappointed. She's thinking, well, maybe he was a false prophet. And then there's another knock on the door. And, uh, and she thinks, oh, this must be him. And she goes to the door. She opens the door. But there's the prophet. She said, 
you told me that, that Jesus was going to visit me today. You know, and, 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 you know, I've spent the whole day, I cleaned the house, I got everything ready, and, and there's no Jesus. And the prophet said, what do you mean? The Lord has visited you three times today. She didn't recognize how Jesus was coming. Those kinds of stories have been always very popular and very powerful. Uh, and in, in many respects, they're, they're, we even echo those things today, even silly things like uh, superhero mythology, you know, like Spider-Man, you know, Peter Parker, you He's a mild-mannered high school kid, and then all of a sudden he's, he's zapped with some radiation, and then suddenly he discovers that there's something different about them, and there's something special. You have Clark Kent, a mild-mannered reporter who suddenly becomes Superman. Uh, you have all these kinds of uh, these, these attitudes, these ideas about people that are in disguise, people that you don't recognize, but people who are nonetheless quite special quite important and quite significant. And there's actually a group of people for whom that is true, and that's the church. Most Christians in the world today, I believe, have no idea what they're looking at when they look at the church. I mean, after all, we look around ourselves and... uh, very few of us are from, you know, the higher echelons of society. Very few of us have, you know, advanced degrees. Very few of us have millions uh, of pounds. Uh, I don't know any of us do, but very few of us do if they do. Uh, uh, we're not the kind of people that you look at and you think, hey, I want this person in parliament. Uh, I want this person on the, the front of an album. Uh, I want this person, you know, doing something significant. And, and we look at ourselves and, and we even look around us and say, well, you know, we're not even filling up this room. Uh, there's nothing much special about us. And for the most part, that's true just about everywhere you go in the world. There's a few exceptions. You know, you might walk into uh, the Lakeland Church in Houston, Texas on a Sunday morning with 50,000 other people and say, wow, this must be pretty important. This must be pretty significant. But most of the time, we look at ourselves, we look at the church, we look at churches all around, and they seem like the old beggar guy in the, in the story. They seem a bit like uh, the young mother and the child who are in poverty. They seem a bit like uh, the old couple uh, or the, the couple that come and they can't keep warm and they don't have enough to, to make ends meet. They don't have enough to get by. And we forget that what we're looking at is actually the body of Christ. We forget that what we're looking at is actually the bride of Christ. We forget that what we're looking at is actually the people, the household of God. And we forget, just like the woman in our story, we forget to our peril. Many times we don't live up to everything that God has for us corporately as the church of Jesus Christ because we fail to see who we really are. We fail to see the reality 
that is going on around us. We fail to see the angelic hosts that surround us. We fail to see how the demons tremble in our presence because of the presence of Jesus Christ in us. We fail to see how we are changing the world one piece at a time, one bit at a time, uh, in ways far beyond our imagining. We fail to see these things sometimes because we simply fail to open our eyes and realize what we have, and realize who we are. It's a bit like the person who puts uh, a billion pounds in a box, have to be an awfully big box, a billion pounds in a box, and then kind of forgets it's there. No, it doesn't do a whole lot of good unless you take it out of the box and use it somehow, apply it somehow, live it somehow. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about who we really are, and hopefully seeing some special things about us together, realizing that our, together we are greater even than the sum of our parts. Together we are more significant than we imagine. Together God wants to do more in us and through us than we can possibly conceive. But in order for that to happen, we have to recognize who we really are and we have to be together in Christ Jesus. The passage today that uh, I read, great passage. Everybody's heard gazillions of sermons on this if you've been a Christian for any length of time. I don't know how many a gazillion is. It's more than one uh, and probably less than a billion because I don't think anybody would survive a billion sermons on one text. So it's got to be somewhere in that, in that category. So you've, you've probably heard a lot about this. We read it, we get over-familiar with it, uh, but it tells us a lot about who we really are. So Jesus, he's walking along with the disciples, and they're talking a bit. They get into Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus says to the guys, he says, hey, who do the people say that I am? The Son of Man is, you know, and, and they knew that he was... They were, he was referring to himself. And they said, well, you know, some, some people say that uh, you're Elijah. You know, kind of like, a, you know, there was a prophecy that a prophet like Elijah would come back. And others were saying, well, no, you're John the Baptist. You know, his, his head was cut off, but now the spirit of John the Baptist is living inside of you. Uh, some were saying that he was the prophet, uh, referring to a passage in Deuteronomy where Moses said uh, that the Lord would raise up a prophet like himself one day who would tell them the way and show, show them the way and tell them the word. And then he says, well, well, who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter, brash guy that he is, he speaks up and says, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, one of the ways to turn that a little bit, uh, and I, I was just reading this recently, and it's really a helpful hint. If you want to study the Bible in a fresh new way, read the Bible. When you're reading, replace the word Christ for the word king, K-I-N-G. So replace the word Christ with the word king, and you get some of what they would understand and some of the meaning that's behind there. And it also adds a freshness to it. And so Peter here is making this declaration. And this is the fundamental declaration for the church. This is the fundamental declaration. Without this declaration, without knowing this reality, affirming this reality, and embracing this reality, there is no church. 
And without affirming this reality, knowing this reality, embracing this reality, you're not a Christian. And the declaration is, you, Jesus, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the ruler. Jesus is the Lord. It's like Paul said in Romans. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, King, or Christ, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You are the king, Jesus, and you as the king are also the son of the living God. It's a declaration before it was even formulated that Jesus is fully God, fully human, that Jesus is the ruler, he is the king, he is the son of God, he is the unique son of God, there's no other son of God that's like him, he is the only begotten son of God from all eternity. Jesus is the king, and Jesus is the son of the living God, and God really is alive, and there's no other God, there's no other living God, there's no other son of the living God, but Jesus, who is the king. And that's our fundamental reality. And the church lives out of that fundamental reality. Many of us like to focus on Jesus as the Savior. And certainly Jesus is our Savior. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we limit it to Savior, we miss the point. And there's a lot of people who limit it to Savior. It's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You saved me from my sins. You've washed my sins away. Wow, I really feel clean. Now I'm going to go live my life. Forgetting that once you're saved, you're also under the kingship of Jesus. You can't be saved without Jesus being your king. You can't experience him as savior, as the forgiver of your sins, unless you're willing to acknowledge him fully as your king. <clears throat> and this is the fundamental reality that constitutes who we are as the church. This is the fundamental reality at our core, at our heart, as the people of God. And this does mean that we are the people of God. So Jesus makes the declaration. And uh, Peter makes this declaration. And Jesus says, ah, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because your father, my, the, my father in heaven has revealed this to you. It's not flesh and blood. And this is the next thing that we need to understand about being who we really are. You won't get it just by looking at it from a flesh and blood perspective. It has to be revelation. We have to have revelation about who we are. We have to have revelation about who Jesus is himself. We can't understand Jesus as king unless we have that revelation given to us by the Father that Jesus really is the king, the son of the living God. And we need to call out for that, but not only for a fuller revelation of who Jesus is, which is something we all need, by the way, even if you're a Christian, not only for a full revelation of who Jesus is, but also a full revelation of who Jesus is in us together. We need to see who Jesus is in our midst. We need to see who we are together because of Jesus. And that will only come by a revelation of the Father. One of the things that's really been breaking my heart, and it's probably been breaking my heart for close to two years now. Uh, a couple years ago, I really received, I think, from the Lord a fresh revelation of who the church is, the reality that we call church. <clears throat> and first, it, it really brought to my mind 
how far I had drifted, how easily I had bought into lies that I had been told. One of the common lies that I hear is that, well, you have the kingdom of God and the church, and the kingdom of God is not the church, and the church is not the kingdom. Now, there's a little bit of truth in that, like many other lies. There's a little bit of truth in that, in that the kingdom of God is greater than the church. The kingdom of God is more than the church because it's the totality of God's rulership. But we, as the church, are the kingdom. We're a part of the kingdom. And you don't have the church without having the kingdom with the church as well. Oh, we got, uh, you know, another lie that goes around is, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Uh, and many people buy into that. And, and there's actually, tr- it's a lot easier to love Jesus than it is to love the church. Come on, because we annoy each other. And most of the time, Jesus doesn't annoy us, or if he does, you know, we can't see him, so we can't give him a piece of our mind, you know? So, uh, but, uh, so, and a lot of times what we do, if we have an issue with Jesus, like he's convicting us of our sin, what we love to do is put our issue with, uh, with Jesus on somebody else. You know, because if I have somebody like Raya, and he's saying, coming up to me and saying, Rod, you know, man, I think what you were doing was sin there, you know, and, and I know that he is right, uh, it's easy for me to attack Raya rather than to confess to Jesus that I'm wrong. Because I want to put my issue with Jesus onto Raya. And that's easy. I can beat Raya because I'm bigger than he is. Even though he's tougher than I am. So he could probably beat me up. So don't put that to the test, Raya. I love you, man. I just love you. Remember that. Uh, but you get my point. And so there's a lie that goes around. You know, we can love Jesus, but we don't have to love the church. Another lie that goes around is, hey, I can be saved on my own. I don't really need the church. That's a total lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell because if you try to be saved on your own, Satan loves that because you become Satan bait. You know, demons just love you because they can harass you and torment you and do all kinds of things to you and you won't even know what's going on. You won't even know what's hit you. So there's so many of these lies that are around. We need this revelation from God about who we really are. We need to go, Father, show me. Give me a revelation. Now, my heart's been grieved because I see this around the world. What we call, you know, the study of the church in, uh, in technical terms is called ecclesiology. And, uh, and I see all around the world a very weak ecclesiology, a very weak understanding of who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. So we need this revelation. We need to say, God, come on, speak to me more. I, I need you to show me. Father, show me the reality of Jesus. Show me the reality of who we are in Christ and show me the reality of who Christ is in us. And then Jesus goes on and he says, uh, you're Peter and let me tell you, on this rock I will build my church. Now there's a, a lot of different interpretations that go along with, with that. I mean, there's some groups that say, well, this means that Jesus was going to build his church on Peter as the rock. Uh, that's really not what this is saying. The way that we know that this is not what it's saying is because the Greek language that goes on after this starts using the plural. It doesn't use the singular. So it would have been much more natural to say, hey, you're Peter, and on you, Peter, the rock, you singular Peter, the rock, I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell will not prevail, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, and, and so on and so forth. But it, it, the language shifts there, and Peter, Jesus doesn't address Peter directly in saying, I'm going to build you on you as the rock. So what is this rock? This rock is the declaration, and by the way, this was one of the oldest understandings uh, of this. You go back in history, John Chrysostom, uh, one of the early great preachers of the church, uh, he, he affirmed this along with many, many others. The rock that Jesus is talking about is the declaration, you are the Christ, the King, the Son of the living God. That's the rock. And Jesus says, on this rock, the solid foundation that we have for the church is the declaration that Jesus Christ is King, the Son of the living God. That's what we're built on. That is the cornerstone that Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2. That is the cornerstone. This reality of who Jesus Christ really is as King, as Lord, not only as Savior, but as the Son of the living God. That declaration, that reality, Jesus says, on that rock, on that rock, Jesus will build His church. You know, it's not up to me to build the church. It's not up to you to build the church. It's us to, up to us to build one another up. But Jesus is determined to build his church. And Jesus is building his church on the reality that Jesus is king, the son of the living God. That is the foundation. That is the rock on which the church is built. There's no other reality that sustains the church. And this is a big problem in the world today because there's a lot of churches that exist kind of like a social club. They talk about God, but they don't talk a whole lot about Jesus. There are a lot of churches today that are just kind of like a, a, a community society, a place where people in the village, they meet together, they have fellowship, they hang out together, but there's no real declarational reality of Jesus Christ as the King the Son of the living God. But it's only on that foundation. And we've determined here at City Temple that that will be our proclamation and that we never again will allow anybody to proclaim from the pulpit of this church anything other than Jesus is King, the Son of the living God. Because that's the reality. And Jesus is building His church. And Jesus is building his church not only here at City Temple, Jesus is building his church today around the world. He's been building his church for the last 2,000 years. He's been building up his bride, his body. He's been doing these things on this foundation of who he is as the king. He is the king. He has a kingdom. And we are the citizens of the kingdom. The idea of church is that Jesus has called us out from the people of the world to become a kingdom and priests unto our God. He's called us out to be built on the foundation of who He is as King, Son of the living God. And that's who we are together. We're built on this solid reality that cannot fail, that cannot be crushed, that will not be overturned. And no matter what's happening in our lives, we have to be looking at that reality. We have to be going after that reality. We have to be reminding ourselves that even though things are not working out in my life right now, Jesus is still the King. And I'm built on that foundation. And then he goes and says something truly amazing. 
It says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell. Now, what are gates? Well, gates are things that keep people in. Gates are things that keep people out. And gates are places in the ancient world where decrees were made and decisions were made. And so what Jesus is saying here, that as the church together built on this solid rock, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Now, the thing about gates is that they're stationary. That means that we're attacking. We're not passively resisting the enemy. We are attacking the gates of hell. We are going after the gates of hell. Our lives in the world are an affront to the gates of hell if we're living for Jesus as the church of Jesus Christ. Our existence as the church, just because we're here, that is an assault on the gates of hell. And the promise is the gates of hell will not be able to keep unsaved people in if we're assaulting them. The gates of hell will not be able to keep us out if we're assaulting them. They will not prevail. Their fortifications will fall. That is the promise and destiny we have. And all of the deliberations and determinations of the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of darkness, of Satan, the prince of the power of the air, all of his determinations, all of his plans, all of his schemes must fall as the church assaults the gates of hell. As we worship the Lord, as we're founded on Jesus, as we even live our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. When you go to work tomorrow, you're going to work as part of the church of Jesus Christ, going engaging in the world and work and business is an assault on the gates of hell. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. But let's be clear here. Jesus is not saying that the gates of hell shall not prevail against you individually. If you're on your own, you lose. If you're on your own, you're what I call a crispy critter. Because you can't win. If we're together, nothing can defeat us. Nothing around the gates of hell, at least. The gates of hell shall not prevail. And then he goes on, and he tells, he tells Peter, and he says, and hey, I've given you guys, he says, you all, he says, I've given you all the keys to the kingdom. We are kingdom citizens and we have kingdom keys. The keys were symbolic, one, of being able to, in the Old Testament, open a door that no one can shut and shut a door that no one can open. We can create opportunities as we live in kingdom reality, opening the door to people in the world and, and, and the, the things that we have. The problem is we don't try to do that. We're not praying together. We're not working together. We're not ministering together as the church, and most churches aren't. But we have that kingdom authority to create opportunities. We also have the kingdom authority to stop demonic advances. As the holder of the keys, the holder of the keys were also stewards. That means that Jesus has made us, as his church, 
caretakers of his kingdom on this earth. That's why we pray for the sick. That's why we can cast out demons. That's why we can share the gospel and see people come to faith. That's why we can forgive sins. We can do so many things because we are stewards of God's kingdom. He has given us a participation as kingdom citizens. He's given us kingdom authority by giving us the keys of the kingdom. And we have the ability to bind and to loose. Now you could do a lot of teaching on this uh, and I'll just summarize briefly. Binding and loosing is about a number of things. On the one hand, it's about declaring what is true and what can happen and declaring what is not true and what cannot happen. Uh, in the ancient days, uh, the, the teachers of the Talmud, they would bind and loose by declaring this is an authentic teaching and this is not an authentic teaching. So not an authentic teaching, they bind it. Uh, authentic teaching, they loose it so that people could embrace it and could understand it. But binding and loosing is, is even more. Now, binding and loosing has to do with sin. So we can bind sin and loose ourselves into freedom. We have authority to do that. It has to do with the operation of the demonic. We can bind the activity of the demonic in our midst, and we can also loose God's blessing in our midst. This and many other things are meant by binding and loosing. And we have the ability, we have the authority as citizens of the kingdom, as the church of Jesus Christ, founded on the declaration that Jesus is King, Son of the living God, we have been given this authority. Jesus is building us up as his church. He's given us that, the keys of the kingdom. He's empowered us with binding and loosing as one of our many uh, abilities as the body of Christ. But the key thing here is to remember in all of these things, it's only us together that has this. And over the years, I, I just see people wandering around, you know, on the streets. I've, I've seen Christians kind of do this, you know, they kind of go around and they're just binding and loosing this, that, and, and everything else as individuals. And it, it just doesn't work that way. Now, there is an authority that you have as you go out into the world, but in that authority, you have to go as part of the body of Christ, as part of the church. You cannot go in this authority by yourself. People who are not willing to be built together by Jesus as the church of Jesus Christ cannot have the authority to plunder hell. They cannot have the authority of the keys of the kingdom. They certainly won't have the authority to bind and loose. That happens to us together. Together as the body of Christ and together not only as an individual church but churches all over London. I remember, you might remember back uh, the big riots that were happening was that about 2010 or so here in London and I, I just remember how horrifying it was to see this happening on TV to see this unfolding around us uh, buildings burned and people looting and you know people who are normally decent human beings like school teachers and stuff doing stuff that were unheard of and I remember how we called a solemn assembly as a church I believe it was on a Tuesday night. We called the Solemn Assembly as a church and we came together 
in this place. And we had a time of worship and had a time of prayer. And we commanded the, the rioting to stop. We commanded uh, all of this to end in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus. And that was the last night the rioting ended that very day in London. I think it moved up to Birmingham or Manchester for a day or two, but that was the end. I subsequently learned that not only us, but there were many, many other churches around London that God had told to gather on that exact same night at almost that exact same time. And at that moment, about seven o'clock, seven, eight o'clock at night, we were all together taking authority in Jesus. And it stopped. That wasn't a coincidence. In fact, on the news that night, the newscasters were utterly stunned at what happened. They were saying, we have no idea why this has stopped. And of course, those of us who were in the church, we're going, yeah, we're doing our happy dance, saying, yeah, we know, hallelujah, praise God. We know what was happening. You know, and I was tempted at the time, by the way. That was before I learned how many churches were doing this. And I was tempted toward a wee bit of arrogance. You know, I was tempted to say, well, here, City Temple, we're good, yeah. You know, we got together, we stopped this, you know, aren't we super? Uh, but I resisted that, thank Jesus, because then I would have to be repenting before you right now instead of laughing with you right now. Uh, resisted that, and it was the day or so later that I heard about all, many of the other churches that were doing the very same time, the very same night, and I realized what God had done. You know, we're dealing with an epidemic of knife crime in our city right now. It's time for us as the church to rise up and say, hey, this stops. We're seeing a mess in our government. It's time for us to rise up as the church and say, hey, this stops. And we need to pray for revelation in churches all around our city because it's not just us together, it's all the churches together. Because all of us together, we have the keys of the kingdom. All of us together, we're going to storm the gates of hell and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. All of us together can bind and loose this kind of junk that's happening around us. And we can see many amazing things done. And this can happen in your workplace. This can happen in your home. This can happen with the church. We'll see God do many things. But we have to stay together. And we have to know who we really are. Because who we are together is something precious and beautiful and irreplaceable. Built on Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. Father God, thank you so much. I pray that you would give us the revelation that we need. Give us the revelation to know who we really are as the church. Give us the revelation how to stand together against violence, knife violence, knife crime in our city. Give us the revelation how to stand together against greed and all the evils that happen in the city of London. Give us together the revelation of how to stand against false religions and the demonic spirits that lead people astray. Let us know together who we really are and together let us step forward as who we really are to see this city, 
and this world changed with the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We love you and praise you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.